Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Telegraph Telegraph. Podcasts Q Collective Exhale We've trudged through snow and sleet eaten more carbs than health professionals would recommend and sat on more benches than a reception class full of toddlers but we've made it through Fashion Month is finally finished I'm Charlie Gowns Eglinton and this is Fashion Unzipped With me in the studio today are two fellow weary showgoers, Emily Cronin, Senior Fashion Editor. Hello. And Caroline Leeper, Fashion Editor. Hi. Today we'll be sharing the good, the bad and the controversial from a long month of catwalks. As the final city on the Fashion Week flight path, Paris is where the trends that have started to appear in other cities either crystallise or disappear completely. What trends did everybody spot? Emily, you spent yesterday in Paris on your birthday at the Chanel show and then Miu Miu. What did you love? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a very happy birthday to me, although I'm still a little bit disgruntled that Karl Lagerfeld didn't, you know, pop out of a cake at the end of the Chanel show. I mean, we we did chat about that. I told him I expected it. <laughs> um, but for me, I mean, first of all, I have to just own up to unmitigated pleasure in going to Paris Fashion Week. Like, this is my first Paris in years. And by the end of what you've so rightly called the Fashion Week flight path, a lot of people are tired and jaded. And then I got to pop up for the last three days like, hi, guys, (laughs) let's see some fashion shows and, and really just got to see some of the best fashion shows that anyone could hope to see in a season. So that's me, Susie Cream Cheese, really happy about about the last few days of Fashion Week. Um, as for trends, I think for me, one of the big takeaways from Paris, it might seem quite niche, but it, it was the autumn winter season. There were a lot of coats and the ways that models were wearing the coats was very unusual. I mean, at Balenciaga, we saw multi-coating, which is great news for inveterate overpackers like me. You no longer have to try to fit your outerwear in your suitcase. You can just wear all of your coats at once. So at Balenciaga, there were I think blazers layered under parkas, layered under these huge opera coats with ruffled hems that that the high street is just going to go to town with, I'm sure. And then on the other end of the coat spectrum, there were party coats. I mean, this is such a great shortcut to a dress-up look. We had metallic brocade coats at Rochas, quilted silk at Nina Ricci, and feather-trimmed coats at Dries Van Noten. And I must say, like, the one night that I actually got dressed up was for the Alexander McQueen show, and I wore a nothing black slip dress, a nothing black jumper, and over it, a floral preen 
party coat and got so many oohs and ahs and felt very next autumn winter. It's all you need, isn't it? If you've got the coat, anything else doesn't matter underneath. I mean, no one can see it anyway. And also, coats are the new eating dresses. They're billowy, they're roomy, There's you can you can definitely eat and drink if you're wearing a party coat. We also just don't have the climate for party dresses. I mean, there's probably a month a year that you can actually go out in a silk dress. Even a neighbour's conservatory is too cold for a silk dress. You need, you know, a glam jacket. And it's so, how disappointing is it? I know you've all done this, that you've got a, a cocktail dress that you're really excited about and you wear it out for like a New Year's Eve thing or a birthday party and then you keep your coat on all night anyway. And on the double coat thing... I was doing that as well on the train out there because we came from the snow in London and I didn't have enough space in my bags, so I just put them all on anyway. So I was doing it anyway. What can you say? You were way ahead of the curve, Lieber. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, multi-coating and party coats. Charlie, I think you were pretty excited about some of the footwear developments. Shoes that I can actually walk in. Um, You wouldn't think that was such a, a shocking thing on the catwalk, but it can be a little bit ridiculous. I mean, often we see gorgeous incredibly impractical stilettos and even kitten heels that actually I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to, you know, hop on the tube in a pair of kitten heels. Um, But instead at Chanel, Karl Lagerfeld put these flat brogues with everything from tweed skirt suits to beautiful tall dresses. And they looked fabulous. And we also saw at Saint Laurent, they did have a few spindly stilettos, but these kind of gorgeous little mini dresses that I can't imagine myself in, but still beautiful, Um, paired with stomping boots, you know, proper platform boots that these girls could walk in. And they weren't teetering down the catwalk, they were striding. And actually at Isabel Morant, they had a Western boot, but not in a costumey kind of sense of that word. Um, No spurs, but just this kind of chic new ankle boot. The the boots at Chloe were really impressive as well. Mm. I mean, they're starting to look like something of a signature for designer Natasha Ramsey-Levy. There were ankle boots with straps and cutouts, and it, it, it just looked like the kind of thing that you want to wear with everything, and it would immediately make a floaty dress look grounded and, and cool. It makes everything that you see in front of you look that bit more desirable when you see it with a with a shoe that you would actually wear it with as well there's nothing worse than when you're watching a show and all you can fixate on is the fact that the model is shaking because she's almost about to possibly tumble in shoes that are really impractical and no one's going to wear in real life you know you say desirable I say modern like there were a couple shows which shall remain unnamed where during the finale I actually noticed models like leaning against each other with those wobbly ankles just to make it down the runway. And and you just think, that's not an empowered vision of femininity. You know, that's not the way that anyone wants to be. Give if, me stomping boots any day. If you can't make it down an 800-meter catwalk, you're not going to survive a whole night out, even if they are party or shoes. a cobbled London lane. I mean, forget it. <laughs> Cobblestones. <laughs> shudder. The interesting dialogue that was going on was about modesty. So we had on the one side the Valentinos of this world who were showing these amazing fully covered gowns and capes and it was just like top to toe. Some of them had hoods, fully covered looks, but still super glam, super chic. And then on the flip side, you've got you know, the Saint Laurent side of sexy, which is the mini dresses, the exposed shoulders, all the glitter, but in a very small space of fabric. So there's quite an interesting dialogue at play, I guess, at the moment with those two ends. 
And at the moment, with red carpets becoming protest marches and allegations against fashion industry, photographers and stylists and designers continuing to roll in, do women still want sexy? Did that feel off note for anyone? I mean, if you're going to have that debate anywhere, isn't Paris an interesting place for it? The, the You know, a place that's known for its sexy dressing and its more kind of subtle takes on it as much as as much as it's more out there takes. Women want fashion that they can get excited about. Women want fashion that makes them sit up and feel that they've seen something new, right? And right now, sexy, 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 like legs and and boobs and everything out there, it doesn't feel new. It feels kind of hackneyed and old. I'm not sure that, that the reactionary response on the other end of the spectrum is great either, which is being covered from neck to ankle in these robes where some of the Valentino gowns, I, I actually looked at them and I was like, where are her arms? Are there armholes? Like, does she get to use her hands? It was a little bit Handmaid's Tale at points. It was very cloaked. You know, that to me came across as just an overt play for the Middle Eastern market, which is increasingly powerful and important to the industry. But somewhere in the more moderate middle, you have fashion designed by women for women, Claire Waite Keller at Givenchy, one of the best shows of the week. You know, Natasha Ramsey-Levy at Chloe, similar. Stella McCartney is in the process of buying back her business. Her show was divisive. I liked it a lot because it was playful. It, it played with masculine and feminine, and it touched on some of her house codes. So what we have are women who know how women want to feel and are giving them clothes to promote that feeling. That's something that I'd, that I'd like to see more of. Of course, we do have the um, the cynical version, which is that Middle Eastern market. You know, you have brands like Gucci and Milan who layer everything onto a model. And they had all these different headpieces. I mean, they had some turbans that have kind of fallen foul of controversy because they look just like Zeke turbans. But they also had jeweled hijabs. And I spoke to uh, the head of buying at Matches, and she said, actually, this is a huge market for them. This is something that that Middle Eastern customer does want. They want high designer fashion, and they want modest silhouettes. They want head coverings. So it makes sense for these designers to be delivering the pieces that these women with deeper pockets than myself want to buy. It's also just great merchandising. For the most part, the women who look at the runway aren't actually going to buy the full gown or the skirt and the shirt and the jacket. What they're going to buy is the scarf, the sunglasses, the shoes, the handbag. And now they're getting another option in the headscarf, which might just be a scarf, you know, which has always been offered. It's just that instead of being shown wrapped around a wrist or a neck, it's now pinned under the chin. And, you know, it's also worth noting that these brands are in a way reclaiming a market that had sort of been co-opted by counterfeiters. You know, if there's a market for Dolce & Gabbana or Louis Vuitton logo-printed hijabs, you better believe that some some market vendor is going to fill that, unless, of course, the real thing steps in with legitimate options. And it's working. People are saying that people aren't shopping as much anymore, people don't have the spending power, but somebody obviously does. Gucci had an incredibly strong final quarter in 2017, and that actually helped to drive their parent company, Kering, to their most profitable year on record. I mean, for that to be happening now when it feels like everyone's tightening purse strings, it's definitely working for them. So now that we've had a, a night at least to sleep on everything, what was everybody's favourite show from Paris? Emily? This might be a little predictable, but there was a moment 
when we all went into the McQueen show and surveyed these rows of folding chairs that were all enrobed in creamy Aran knit jumpers and sat down on the jumpers. And everyone in there had the exact same experience where someone next to them who'd gotten there first turned to them and said, look at the label. And you looked at the label of your jumper and it, it was woven with your name in it. So it said Alexander McQueen, Emily Cronin. And then you kind of clocked that this was all done for you. And the most experienced fashionistas, all of their jaws dropped. It, it was just a moment of staggering generosity and an example of, of craft and a real display of the power of this of this British fashion house. Um, and believe me, you know, sometimes you go to fashion shows and there will be like, you know, a bag with some beauty products or hairspray or perfume or whatever. And then you'll walk away and you'll see that a bunch of people have left their bags under their seats. There was not a single chair that had a jumper on it by the end of the show. And yes, the collection itself was also incredibly powerful. Imagine being the poor PR, though, who had to organize that. I mean, they always have a a battle with a guest list, but to then have to get every single guest's um, name embroidered into their own personal jumper, (laughs) that is commitment. Caroline, what was your favorite show in Paris? I think for me, my favorite was Isabel Morant. It was the first night that I'd arrived, um, and it was, yeah, the first show that I went to when I got there. So... I was obviously buzzing anyway a bit, but I know a lot of people talk about the energy of shows. And sometimes you think, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's quite a guffy thing to say. But in this case, it really rang true. The models, they were all like on a power trip. There was Gigi Hadid, there was Kaya Gerber, there was Amber Valletta. Um, and they were modelling these amazing, like it was quite like a, a French chic take on kind of Western and to Dolly Parton's Jolene, which had been remixed. And it just it was just a banger. It was great. I'm with you. As soon as they brought out, they brought out mulled wine on trays. So bear in mind, this is kind of nice. It was an 8 p.m. show in Paris. It was in a constructed tent in the Tuileries Gardens. So it was freezing. It was, frosty, it was freezing it? cold. So mulled wine and then this great soundtrack. And Amber Vletter, who's just turned 44, looked absolutely fantastic. It was a real moment. They were stomping down the catwalk in those cowboy boots. They loved it. And it was you said, fantastic. You said that they didn't even make a big thing about diverse casting. It was just, if Amber's a great model, of course she's here. Yeah, quite often exactly. when, you, when you get somebody who's trying to make a point of the fact that they've done a diverse casting, they'll put their token older model, for example, at the front of the lineup so that everybody sees it, that that's what they've done. But this was just like, yeah. There's just a whole mix of women here. Here they all go. Yeah, and there was no press release issued to say, you know, well done us, pat on the back, we cast a 44-year-old woman to walk on the catwalk. It was just, Amber Valletta looks fantastic. She looks great in our clothes. Here she is. It was the same at McQueen. They had Stella Tennant and a a few more mature models, as well as a curvier model, someone who Sarah Burton has used in previous collections. Um, I actually would like to find out her name because... She's very interesting to look at and wore the clothes very well. But Charlie, what was your what was your highlight of, of Paris? Well, I think the thing with Paris is it's such a beautiful city. And actually, when you're going to these shows, you're in these amazing buildings. And that can really kind of build the atmosphere. So one of the most beautiful kind of ceilings I've seen in Paris is at the, the town hall. Um, and that's where Dries van Noten had his show. And it was just this frescoed ceiling gilded with gold and then the models came out in I mean I'm biased I love Dries van Noten 
I have one of their party coats and I wear it all the time. But that was a great investment. These kind of beautiful brocades and feather trims. His prints this season, he'd actually hand-drawn in biro. So it kind of took on this really unusual modern element but just beautiful clothes that I think so many women would want to wear because they're just great dressing up clothes, but actually in really wearable silhouettes. There weren't micro mini skirts or spray-on trousers. They were just fantastic clothes. You can read all of our lessons from Paris Fashion Week in today's paper and at telegraph.co.uk slash fashion. And email us. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast. Tell us what you like, what you hate, what you want to hear more of, what questions you have about personal style or the fashion world. Anything really, just email us. We're on unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. And if you haven't already done this, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps more people find Fashion Unzipped. The Oscars took place on Sunday night and Caroline, you drew the short straw and sat in the office for the overnight shift reporting on the red carpet as it happened. Now, unlike the Golden Globes and BAFTAs, actresses didn't dress in black in support of Time's Up. What were your takeaways? I think the overarching theme, um, there definitely was a feeling of people pairing things back a little bit. There wasn't quite as much over-the-top embellishment. There wasn't quite as much fabric and maybe a few less diamonds <laughs> than there have been in previous years. Um, but that's not to say that the fashion took a backseat at all. Like There were still so many different highlights. I think I've got to kick off with Margot Robbie. So for her, it was a huge night because just before she came out onto the red carpet, they also announced that she has become a Chanel ambassador. So she was wearing Chanel, like a couture gown by Karl Lagerfeld, on a the Chanel red carpet. wedding gown, it looked like. It did look very bridal, this is true. It was kind of a very simple white column with this, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a... a sash, almost. Yeah, it was like a diamond kind of crystally, yeah, sash across the top to make it into a bit of a bardo off-the-shoulder vibe. For me, this was just a masterclass in why it's so important to invest in a great stylist in Hollywood. So she's worked with Kate Young, who is fantastic and also looks after you know Natalie Portman Selena Gomez some other really big stars she's worked with her since 2016 when she kind of broke through for the Wolf of Wall Street and um over the two years the two have worked together to really build up Margot Robbie's fashion credentials so it's quite a gradual process you have to sign introduce brands along the way and build up that momentum around somebody and it's just proof that if you get that styling journey right it can actually pay massive dividends because you can get this fashion reputation and these contracts can come your way so for me that was just really interesting to see the business behind the red carpet um, going into that look how much how much could a contract like that be worth I mean, millions, surely. Is it just a red carpet ambassadorship? Is there, is, is there a fragrance? I mean... Well, they haven't announced specific details as to what this partnership will look like as it develops more, but it certainly has spawned some red carpet looks already. The after party, she was wearing Chanel again. Like, it is a firm partnership now. But then, like, when I look at other clients that Kate Young has had and also helped with this same kind of trajectory, Natalie Portman's been a Dior ambassador for several years now, and she does perfume campaigns, and 
again, like that's another great job that's come off the back of just being a very stylish person on the red carpet. Um, and also Selena Gomez with Coach. Selena's designed her own bag line for that brand, again, off the back of campaigns and working together and building that relationship and that reputation. So, yeah, it, that really just showed for me how it's all just one big business. <laughs> this, this did give us an opportunity to enjoy some of that kind of old fashioned red carpet glamour again. I loved Saoirse Ronan's pink Calvin Klein dress. It paid homage quite directly to a dress that Gwyneth Paltrow wore in the 90s. And this big pink bow at the back, it was off the shoulder. It was so feminine. It was so almost saccharine, but but beautiful. Um, And I think after all that black on the red carpet, I just loved it. I spoke to her stylist, Elizabeth Saltzman, earlier on in the week. And she was saying, you know... This is going to be a really interesting one because it's kind of a straddle of the classic beauty and modern simplicity. And her quote to me was that a pretty dress isn't always the most memorable choice you can make. And yet with Saoirse Ronan, because she chopped her hair into that super blunt, brand new, sharp bob, it just added a whole different kind of vibe to that dress, which, as you say, otherwise could have so easily tipped into that really sugary, bit too sweet um, territory. With Saoirse, we've also seen her in a parade of more angular, modern looks, you know, with cutouts and metallic accents. And anyway, this was a completely different note for her to strike. I thought the color could have been a little bit stronger, but there was something so girlish and delighted and almost innocent about it. Like, here I am at the Oscars for this film that I love. Uh, I also really appreciated that it, it, it nodded at the pink prom dress that she wore in a pivotal scene in Lady Bird. That was really well done. But as I was looking at the pictures, I was thinking about something else that you told me. Because, Caroline, didn't you sit next to Elizabeth Saltzman at the Halpern show at Fashion Week? Yes, I did, yeah. And she hadn't. they hadn't decided until two weeks before what exact colour they were going to pick so before the BAFTAs even she said that they were laying on the floor looking at swatches and still trying to decide which way to go with it. Do you think they knew that they were doing that dress though? They must have. She told me they had the sketch in place so the silhouette and the designer which was Calvin Klein um, they had that in place about four or five weeks before But yeah, up to two weeks before, they still had two sketches that they were not quite sure which one to go with and also two colour swatches. So So. don't you want to see the dress that they didn't choose? Oh, yeah. I want to know what the other colour swatch looked like. I mean, what's on the cutting room floor of the Oscars? Maybe it was black. Maybe it was, Mm. you know, a black dress backup. Just in case they changed it to Time's Up. Um, I think the other person we've really got to talk about is Frances McDormand, who obviously won the Best Actress Award. Um, For us in the office at probably about midnight at this first point when the people were arriving on the red carpet, we were kind of like, where is she? Why hasn't she arrived? This is a Best Actress nominee. Everyone kind of thought she might win. And she didn't go on the red carpet which was such a big statement in itself. I mean, she's always along the journey with this film. She's been saying she's not into, you know, traditional red carpet glamour. She didn't wear makeup at the Golden Globes. She wore her own pink bedtime slippers under her outfit at another another awards show. So she's been playing the red carpet rebel all (laughs) along. 
And then she just didn't even turn up on the at the at the Oscars red carpet. So for those of us sitting there ready to to write some commentary, it was a real tumbleweed moment. Where did she go? So the first sighting we actually got of her was as Jimmy Kimmel started to open the show. And yes, yeah, she was just sitting with her co-stars, but she was wearing a Valentino dress. And it was only when she got up and accepted her award that we got to see that, which was very interesting. Oh, I'm sure Valentino were thrilled to be deprived of that red carpet opportunity <laughs> with their Best Actress winner. But I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing? A Best Actress nominee who doesn't want to showcase what is supposedly in the media the most important fashion decision she'll ever make? Well, I think she was more interested in showcasing her speech should she win. But yeah, that her that's line, important too. Her <laughs> line about the inclusion writer was definitely the most quoted tidbit from the entire Oscars broadcast, mm-hmm. and, and for good reason. It was very refreshing, definitely. So looking at it all the next morning, looking through our, our extensive red carpet gallery and all of your amazing coverage, the two looks that stopped me in my tracks were very different. The first was my new favorite person in, in the film industry, Agnes Varda. she's an older woman she's a French art film director her film Faces Places which I believe was a collaboration with the artist JR was nominated and she showed up on the red carpet wearing basically Gucci rose pajamas I mean the, the silk robe cardigan which was like a cream silk printed with red roses the matching trousers she had two tone hair she looked like she was living her best life and I loved her for it you, you might say, yes, but that's not very chic and it's not very glam. Fine. It was very it was highly individual and that should be celebrated as well. But on the other end of the spectrum, three cheers for Alice and Jenny. I mean, she had her moment in red in that Remacra gown with the great cape-like sleeves. And how wonderful was it to see CJ Craig win an Oscar? It was great. It, I loved Alice and Jenny. She was a great one for me. Um, I also really loved, obviously, we've got to give a shout out to the British nominee, Leslie Manville. She's 61. She was in Anna Valentine, which is a British brand that the Duchess of Cornwall loves. So it was a, a quite an interesting choice for the red carpet, but she looked fantastic in it. And then also there was Eve Marie Saint, who is 93 and looked so incredibly chic. She just had this black gown with a simple orchid print on it. I think it was from a brand called Landero, which I'd not heard of before. And just a string of pearls. And she looked fabulous. I thought she looked fantastic. She looked timeless. She looked elegant. And I think if we look back on that image in 10 years, we'll still think she looks fantastic. Whereas Agnes Varda's Gucci pyjama outfit, while, you know, great fun, I think will date much more quickly. This Oscars will really stand out to me as one where, as opposed to most award ceremonies where the focus is firmly on like the hot young thing, and middle-aged women can tend to sort of fade into the background, they really came front and center and owned it. And Agnes, you were part of that for me, so thank you. We couldn't possibly draw a line under our Fashion Week coverage without just sharing a few highlights. Everyone, what was your moment of the season? Emily? Seeing the Queen in the front row of the Richard Quinn show, I mean, that that actually happened after we recorded the podcast for the day. So final show at 4 p.m. And there was an empty chair next to Anna Wintour with a royal blue velvet cushion on it. And then in came the Queen. We all stood up 
there was like this collective intake of, of breath. And I don't know about, about anyone else there, but I did a little involuntary curtsy. And it was just, you know, the thrill of my life. Never felt so proud to be British. It's going to go down in history, that one, isn't it? It's, it's something that we'll be talking about and, and other cities can never match that. Never. But I did sort of wonder, like, what if she kind of went home after that and said to Philip, I just had the most fun. Why haven't I been doing this for the past 60 odd years? I could have been sitting in the front row the whole time with a cushion in every show. <laughs> I've been missing out. I'm angry. So please come back. Not that I think that anyone can probably exceed that highlight, but Charlie, what was your high point of, of the season? Probably my highlight of the whole season was Gucci. It was just such fun. It was this kind of Frankenstein's operating surgery as you walked in and these green walls and green floors and operating tables under huge overhanging lights. And then the model started to come in and, I mean, there were beautiful clothes here, but it was also just the experience of it. They'd made these amazing replica heads that were identical to the models walking. So they were actually carrying a replica of their own head under their arm. There were baby dragons. It was, you know, all sorts of weird and all sorts of fantastic. There was also a Mr. Tumnus reference, which I really enjoyed. I mean, it was very bizarre, but I'll remember that one for years. Why wouldn't there be a Mr. Tumnus reference? (laughs) That's what I want to know. Okay, I can't think of one exact perfect highlight there was so many for me across the board Um, so I'm just going to say London as a whole I felt like it was a really strong season for British designers I felt like we had the stage and the platform and the voice more than I think we've had in years and that came from so many different shows for me from Preen for me was one of their strongest that I've seen from them in years Um, I felt Erdem at the National Portrait Gallery the sense of both that that venue and that occasion in there was was as exciting as the clothes, um, which were fantastic as well. I felt Mulberry came back with a bang because they had obviously had a season where they hadn't shown on the catwalk last last season. Um, so for Johnny, um, the designer there, that that was that was a great highlight to have him back. Um, and Burberry as well. I mean, it was Christopher Bailey's last one. Um, so going out with that big rainbow and and that bang um, was again, yeah, all eyes on London. For more on your favourite stories, read today's paper or visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion and email us any thoughts, questions, anything you'd like to hear us talk about at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. Check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.